From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, thanks for tuning in and making Washington Watch part of your day. Well, coming up on this Thursday edition, as Israeli military forces make their way deeper into Gaza City, what they're finding provides evidence of Hamas's tactics of hiding behind civilians, which is a violation of international law. Israeli troops breached here a few hours ago, and we have cleared the area, make sure that it's safe. And a few of the most interesting things that we have found totally confirm, without any doubt, that Hamas systematically uses hospitals in their military operations in violation of international law. And what we have found, I think, is only the tip of the iceberg. That was IDF spokesman Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Korikas showing how Hamas has used hospitals to aid its terrorism. We'll be joined by CBN's Chris Mitchell live from Israel in just a moment. And I'm not sure what was more disturbing about China's Communist Party dictators Xi Jinping's visit to San Francisco. President Biden's apparent inability to see the threat China poses to the U.S. or corporate America's cheering of the dictator. The United States will continue to compete vigorously with the PRC, but will manage that competition responsibly so it doesn't veer into conflict or accidental conflict. And where it's possible, where our interests are coincide, we're going to work together like we did on fentanyl. That was President Biden last night after his meeting with the communist dictator. But the president is not alone. Corporate America seems unfazed by China's horrid human rights record. CEOs of BlackRock, Apple, Pfizer, and others dined with the dictator last night. And we're going to talk with Seamus Bruner, who is the director of research at the Government Accountability Institute, a little later in the program. And to contrast how the Biden administration is falling over itself to accommodate China, look no further than poor African countries like Uganda that refuse to change their laws on abortion and homosexuality. What is the Biden administration doing to them? Ariel Del Turco, the director of the Center for Religious Liberty at the Family Research Council, will join us to explain. And earlier in the week, we spoke with Mike Davis of the Article 3 Project about the weaponization of government and in particular how the courts are being used for what's called lawfare. Well, today we're going to take a closer look at the topic with a member of the House Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. Congresswoman Harriet Hegeman will join us. We'll also talk with Alabama Congressman Robert Adderhold about Republicans' plan to use the purse strings that Congress controls to stop the abuse. All of that coming up on this edition of Washington Watch. Our word for today comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 6. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, let that definition of faith sink in. All the individuals that are listed in this chapter had hope or better had confidence in the word, the promise of God, even though their eyes could not see it nor their hands touch it. Faith is required to move us beyond the limitations of what we see into the realities of God's kingdom. You can't enter without faith. And if you have genuine faith in God, biblical faith, not just a head knowledge or an intellectual agreement that there may be a God, you will act on that biblical faith as the men and women of faith have done who have gone before us. 
To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Following a, an intense raid yesterday leading to Israeli forces entering Al-Shifa Hospital, a Gaza City medical complex said to conceal a Hamas base. Now, this violates international law. What else did they find? Well, joining me now to discuss the latest from Israel is Chris Mitchell, Middle East Bureau Chief for CBN News. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Always great to see you. Great to be with you again, Tony. So uh, there's a tentative agreement in the works regarding hostages and possibly releasing some of them. What can you tell us about that? Well, we know right now that Hamas has agreed to this. It's 50 uh, releasing 50 hostages, uh, you know, in exchange for a three day uh, ceasefire and for uh, some Palestinian prisoners. Israel has not agreed to that. Uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has been saying all along that they need 240 hostages released, and then there'll be a ceasefire, but not until then. So uh, this is something that, uh, that really has been talked about for the last few days, but uh, nothing's decided on that yet. Now, this uh, discussion follows uh, two days of Israeli forces searching a medical complex believed uh, to house Hamas leaders. And we were showing a video clip of that earlier, actually uh, a clip from a spokesman from the IDF showing some of the weapons that they found. What else do we know about these searches? Well, we know they found uh, weapons in the uh, El Shifa hospital. They also, a couple of days ago, they found weapons in the Rantisi hospital. And uh, and what they what they found is uh, is just you know weapons, uh, bulletproof vests, uh, sometimes vests for suicide vests, uh, all of these go bags for for you know a terrorist to grab and go and, uh, and go into the fighting. So they found all of that. Uh, this is evidence, according to the IDF, that they're using hospitals as uh, as terror bases they haven't found the kind of uh, terror infrastructure they had hoped to but it's still a work in progress tony and we understand there's one report that says uh actually the the staff there at the al-shifa hospital perhaps uh with the combination of, of cooperation of hamas has been able to remove even more evidence of them using these uh hospitals as a base for their terror and according to international law you know you can't actually use that kind of uh, base, a hospital, for terror. But they found this all throughout their uh, campaign in the last several weeks. They found, uh, you know, rocket launches in a boys' uh, school. They found rocket launches near a mosque. Uh, they found, uh, you know, weapons actually in a, in a child's bed. Uh, even today, they found some rockets. So all this is part of Hamas's uh, terror infrastructure woven throughout uh, the Gaza City and Gaza Strip. So, Chris Mitchell, let me ask you this question. Uh, Have we heard anyone from the United Nations, Secretary General, maybe condemning Hamas for violating international law and using hospitals, schools, mosques, civilians to uh, to use uh, using them as shields for their terrorist activity? Well, I don't think we've heard that from the United Nations, uh, Secretary General. Uh, There was a resolution yesterday at the United Nations Security Council uh, you know, condemning uh, Israel, but uh, is- Israeli uh, ambassador Gilad uh, Erdan would just condemn that. And, and sadly, I think the United States actually abstained from that, which uh, a- allowed this resolution to pass from the U.N. Security Council that uh, but didn't mention the uh, condemnation about what Hamas has been doing. 
for October 7th and what it has done throughout this uh, the Gaza City, which Yoav Gallant, the Israeli defense minister, called the largest terror base in the world. Billions of dollars have been spent, uh, you know, manufacturing this terror infrastructure. That's why it's taking the systematic dismantling by the idea of day by day. Yeah, I, I, I'm well aware that the United Nations has not said anything. I was just trying to make the point, Chris, double standard. It's the same thing we we are seeing here in the United States when it comes to justice is double standard. Hamas using civilians, women and children to hide behind hospitals to launch their terrorist attacks. But what is the international community doing? They're condemning Israel for defending itself. So I, I want to ask you, switching gears just a, a tad bit, to, to the environment there in Israel. I mean, we're a month into this, this, this war. A lot of division, as we've talked about, going into this war politically in Israel. What are things like today? Well, you know, on October 6th, uh, Tony, we'd be talking about the, probably the most divisive time in Israel's history after October 7th and here. Uh, today, we're looking at uh, probably united Israel like never before. Uh, almost everyone here in Israel is affected directly or indirectly uh, by this war. Uh, you know, on October 6th, uh, many of the hotels here in Jerusalem were filled with tourists, and now they're filled with evacuees, people that had to flee either because their communities were destroyed near the Gaza Strip or up in the north, they had to flee because of Hezbollah fighting, uh, you know, so 60,000 people from the north, maybe uh, almost 200,000 from the south, uh, about 250,000 Israelis. And plus, besides that, Tony, you have almost everybody that has a son or a daughter or a cousin or a brother or sister that's, that's in, the, in the reserves or in the army right now. So, but I would say, even though on October 6th, things were so divided, now I think in, uh, Israelis, uh, and I would say to extension, Many of the Jewish people around the world are united like never before. Well, we certainly saw that here in Washington, D.C., with the, the, the march to stand for Israel on the mall this week. But from a political standpoint, are the Israeli people uh, lining up behind and supporting the prime minister there? I mean, this is, uh, this is a very serious time, and the weight that's on his shoulders, I can see it every time he appears on uh, television. Are, 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 is there unity around the actions that he's now taking to protect Israel? I would say for the most part, yes, Tony. Uh, they did have uh, established a war cabinet, which includes Prime Minister Netanyahu, Defense Minister Yuav Galanter, and the same political party, the Likud. You also have uh, Benny Gantz, who is the uh, former Defense Minister and former IDF Chief of Staff. He's also in the opposition. So they are presenting a unified front. I would say uh, they're beginning to be some political um, activity against Netanyahu. Yair Lapid, one of the opposition leaders, has called for his resignation. Uh, but I think for the most part, Tony, uh, Israelis are united politically. And, uh, and I would say something that we hadn't seen uh, for, for a number of months. And let me add, Tony, uh, you know, what's happened on October 7th has really shaken uh, the Israeli people, and I would say by extension, the Jewish people around the world. We talked to a Jewish journalist not too long ago and said for the first time in her life, she's actually afraid. Anti-Semitism is up exponentially in the U.S. and Europe. And uh, I think it's really a time to stand beside our Jewish brothers and sisters to support them, pray for them and encourage them. 
during this dark time in their history. Yeah, I think it's gone beyond you know, being theoretical. Could this happen? Yes, it could happen. And we've had skirmishes, but nothing like this. Now it is a reality, and I think you're absolutely right. With that in mind, Chris Mitchell, how can believers here in the United States be praying for Israel and for our friends there in Jerusalem and elsewhere in, the, in Israel? Well, I would say, uh, Tony, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as it says in Psalm 122. Also pray for wisdom for the leaders, as it says in Second Timothy, uh, for the political leaders, the military leaders here. You know, they're doing a, an incredible job in the sense that the world is, uh, is criticizing them. The media, in large part, is criticizing them. And they have to do this while the world is watching to uh, dismantle our terror infrastructure while protecting civilian lives, Palestinian lives. Uh, and and tr- trying to do that when the whole world is watching is not an easy task. So I pray for those wisdom and also pray for the Jewish people around the world that the, the Lord would protect them and keep them safe during this uh, very, very serious and, and desperate, dangerous time. Well, not only is it, there a great cloud of witnesses, they're critics. Uh, and they're looking, many of them looking for a reason to criticize Israel. So we definitely will pray. Chris Mitchell, thanks so much for uh, for being up late and joining us here on Washington Watch. Always great to see you, and we'll be praying for you as well. Great to be with you, Tony. Chris Mitchell with CBN. Appreciate him so much. All right, folks, pray, pray. We need to be praying for Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem and Israel and for their leaders, just as Chris said. All right, folks, don't go away. On the other side of the break, more. Washington Watch, still to come. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. 
Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. At yesterday's meeting between President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping, the Chinese dictator reasserted his resolve to overtake Taiwan and criticized what he referred to as futile U.S. efforts to contain China's ambitions. Quote, the earth is big enough to accommodate both countries, he said, reflecting both his vision for China and a strident foreign policy approach. Well, given the Chinese dictator's ambitions, is the Biden administration equipped to adequately respond? And then, of course, we had the business community, CEOs of some of the top companies tripping over themselves to have dinner with President Xi. Joining me now to discuss this is Seamus Bruner. He's the associate director of research at the Government Accountability Institute and author of the recently released book, Controligarchs. Seamus, thanks so much for joining us today. Good to see you again. Good to see you, Tony. So your thoughts on yesterday's meeting um, between President Biden and the communist dictator Xi Jinping? Well, I think you absolutely nailed it in the intro there. Uh, the thing is, the Biden administration and these control oligarchs in Silicon Valley tripping over themselves to have dinner with Xi at 40 bucks a head, 40,000, that is, uh, they don't want they don't want to decouple from China, obviously, by, you know, based on their statements. No, they want to actually make the U.S. more like China. You saw that in the covid-19 pandemic. They tried to copy the zero covid po policy, which was a total disaster, crushed our small businesses and didn't stop the virus. You see it with the uh, so-called disinformation censorship campaigns where they are the big tech guys are deplatforming and censoring uh, unapproved opposition voices. And so not only do they not want to decouple from China, that would be people like Tim Cook, Apple CEO, or BlackRock's Larry Fink, but they want to bring us closer to a Chinese-style social credit score system. I mean, it sounds sort of crazy, but what I found and document in the book is that there are robust attempts to bring about a social credit score just like they have in China. And so, no, it's, it's failed. The attempt to make China like the West has failed, and it doesn't appear that they've even tried. Yeah, just for the context for listeners and viewers, we go back to the 1990s, uh, where the Chinese government was seeking most permanent, most favored nation status in terms of trade with the United States. And corporations say, yeah, we need to do this. They wanted, they wanted access, obviously, to the Chinese market. 
but uh, we were told we're going to change China. We're going to make it uh, more in line with democratic values. Well, what we see, you know, some 20 years later, 25 years later, is that corporations have become more like the Chinese Communist Party. That's exactly right. And so President Biden's comments are total gaslighting and the talk of a level playing field. It's not true. Uh, China is also, I mean, sending uh, fentanyl and they have this TikTok data weapon. I mean, not only are we not competitors with China, barely adversaries, we're more like enemies or at least the Chinese Communist Party is waging war on the middle and lower classes in America with the Biden administration's and Silicon Valley's uh, acquiescence or at least tacit uh, approval. So, Seamus, the uh, the dictator, uh, Xi Jinping, was using, I think, the media here in the United States. I mean, this is, to me, it looks like a PR campaign. Some of the things that he was saying about, look, I would like to let you know that China sympathizes deeply with the American people, especially the young, suffering from uh, that which fentanyl has inflicted upon them. I mean, what, what do they mean? They're the ones that are, that are pushing this in, uh, you know, pushing it into the United States. That's exactly right. Uh, Xi Jinping, the Chinese Communist Party could end the, t- the, the uh, fentanyl trade immediately. I mean, they're so efficient at locking down their citizens in their apartments during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, are they trying to suggest, is Xi Jinping trying to suggest that he couldn't route out the chemists who are making uh, fentanyl and sending it to the United States? It seems unlikely. So uh, was anything accomplished on behalf of the United States and our interest yesterday in this meeting between President Biden and Xi Jinping? It does not appear that way. No, I mean, where where is the uh, reparations for the COVID-19 pandemic? China knew about the virus. They downplayed it. They kept it a secret much longer than uh, you know they should have. They should have locked down travel to the world, but instead they locked down travel before the world knew about the virus within their own country, helping stop the spread there. But in effect, they exported it to the world. So. You know, the trillions of dollars that the middle class in America and the small businesses have lost thanks to the pandemic, China should have to pay for that. And that's just a start. I want to go back before we run out of time here to corporate America, because they are many of them. Now, they've they've, they've found a creative way to kind of have partner with uh, Chinese companies. So there's kind of a shield of protection from a PR standpoint, but they're still benefiting from China's slave labor with uh, the, the Uyghurs and others. That's exactly right. Whether it's Apple computers, whether it's Nike with their uh, factories over in China, whether it's Jeff Bezos's Amazon, they have all built enormous fortunes for themselves and for their companies uh, at the expense of the Chinese people. And so Um, This partnership, I mean, it is a deep partnership. Men like Bill Gates has helped the Chinese Communist Party censor journalists in in its country with Skype, you know, which is a Microsoft company, uh, going back to other Microsoft products as well. So the partnership seems even more than financial, or at least uh, they help China in ways that are non-financial in in exchange for, like you mentioned, the, the cheap labor. Right. Well, and, and, and there's something we can do about this as American citizens is not buy Chinese products. I, I 
look at the label to see where this is manufactured, where it's coming from. And we have a responsibility, I believe, as as consumers to make sure we're not fueling this uh, communist dictatorship that Xi Jinping is overseeing that, quite frankly, I think is one of the greatest threats we face in America today. Uh, Seamus, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, always great to see you. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Tony. All right, folks. Um, so you've got a responsibility. You know, we should not fuel what China is doing. I mean, one of the, the, they have a, a horrific human rights record. But we're going to next, we're going to talk about how the Biden administration is picking on little African countries because they won't fall in line with their liberal social agenda. That's coming up next. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, by the way, if you've not yet joined the effort to pray for House Speaker Mike Johnson and the Congress as they look to find a way forward that is beneficial to America, I encourage you to do so. Join us in praying for the Speaker, giving him, uh, praying that the Lord would give him wisdom and direction and favor as he leads forward. You can join us by simply texting the word SPEAKER to 67742. That's speaker to 67742, and you'll get a link. And uh, we're actually going to present that to him, let him know how many folks across this country are praying for him. All right, we were talking about how the Biden administration tripping over itself to accommodate the communist dictator, Xi Jinping. Well, let's look at what they're doing in Africa. 
The African Growth and Opportunity Act was established by Congress more than 20 years ago to develop the economies of uh, small African countries while improving economic relations between the U.S. and countries in that region. Now, President Biden announced recently that he is removing four countries from participating in this act, what it gives gives them access to U.S. markets without having to pay uh, fees coming in. Well, two of the countries, Central African Republic and Uganda, both were removed for gross violations of international recognized human rights. Well, uh, the Central African Republic has some real issues with terrorism going on, but the inclusion of Uganda is notable because unlike the Central African Republic, Uganda is not included on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedoms list of countries of particular concern. So why was Uganda excluded from this program? Well, here it is. It's because Ugandan president, Museveni, refused to bow to the Biden administration's social agenda regarding abortion and the LGBTQ agenda. Joining me now to discuss this is Ariel Del Turco. She is the director of the Center for Religious Liberty at, here at the Family Research Council. Uh, Ariel, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you for having me. So this is another example of what we see in the Biden administration using their foreign policy, in this case, you know, access to American markets to punish countries that will not fall in line with their agenda when it comes to abortion and LGBTQ issues. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, and there's a role for the United States government to be advancing human rights abroad, uh, widely recognized human rights that are enshrined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that we would all agree on, the right to life, the right to uh, religious freedom, to free speech, to uh, the absence of slavery. Uh, these are things we can all agree on. However, the left has recently been using the banner of human rights to really push anything they want. So we have a variety of faux rights that they'll push, including abortion. Uh, and most prominently in Africa, they're pushing LGBT issues. Uh, so they will pick on these smaller, weaker uh, African countries that have conservative cultures that are often dependent on uh, foreign aid from Western countries. Uh, and they'll apply a great deal of pressure uh, about uh, advancing pro-LGBT policies in these countries. So it's really a shame that the Biden administration is using their leverage this way. It's interesting that uh, Ugandan President Museveni uh, said that, look, the United States is uh, is not going to force us and we don't need them. He said some of the actors in the Western world overestimate themselves and underestimate the freedom fighters of Africa. So they seem to be undeterred by this. Now, a part of this goes back to some mischaracterization of the laws that they've passed to protect minors and others in the country. Now, it's, it's not laws that we might pass here in the United States, but it's laws that they have passed. And you've actually, uh, in some of your international conferences you've gone to, you've spoken to Ugandan officials about this. Yeah, absolutely. We've met with a variety of African leaders, and their heart behind some of these policies is really to prevent the exploitation of children. They're trying to get that under control in their countries, uh, and they view some of these laws uh, against uh, child molestation, against uh, molestation of, of uh, 
elders, of disabled people. They're strengthening laws against these things uh, to really combat uh, some depravity that's happening. So the, these are these are good measures, uh, and there are other measures that. I don't think we would pass here. I don't think we would even necessarily support. Uh, but we have to recognize that this is a sovereign country, uh, that they're trying to do the best that they can uh, and manage their own culture and promote their own values, which happen to be more conservative, more religious, more traditional. Uh, and as you've mentioned, we've spoken with leaders who say that the State Department goes to their embassies, meets with them regularly, and their top agenda item are LGBT issues. With everything going on in the world right now, it is absurd that this would be a number one priority for the State Department. But we even heard Secretary of State Antony Blinken say this himself uh, a month or two ago, that LGBT issues are a top foreign policy priorities. And we're really seeing this play out to the detriment of American foreign policy right now. Wow. Another example of the fact that elections have consequences. I mean, under the Trump administration, the number one foreign policy we talked about on this program, I've had sec former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo here, he said it, it was religious freedom. Now, you don't even find that in this administration. Ariel, thanks so much for uh, joining us and appreciate the great work that you do at the Center for Religious Freedom. Thank you. All right, folks, uh, coming up after the break, Congresswoman Harriet Hegeman joins us to discuss the weaponization of government by the left to attack conservatives by any means necessary. And then we're going to talk about what we can do to stop it. Don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. 
Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Thursday. Been a wild week on Capitol Hill and a lot happening. Well, earlier this week, we were discussing the left's misuse of the legal system, often referred to as lawfare, to target and pursue political opponents. Now, we've seen this with the charges against former President Donald Trump, but it doesn't stop there. It's also been used against advocates, uh, pro-life advocates, praying outside of abortion facilities or concerned parents actually speaking up at school board meetings about what their kids are being indoctrinated with. Anyone who sticks their head up to oppose the left becomes a target. So how can Republicans go on the offense against this? Join me now to discuss this and more is Congresswoman Harriet Hageman. She is a member of the House Judiciary Committee and the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. She represents Wyoming's at-large congressional district. Congresswoman Hageman, welcome back to the program. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. So you serve on the select subcommittee on the weaponization of federal government, and you're, you're very familiar with how the left is using the legal system. You're an attorney. Uh, you have seen the left and how this increasing uh, weaponization of government is being used. What are we going to be able to do to protect the average American from just being able to express themselves? Well, you are you you have uh, uh, discussed you're discussing an incredibly important issue. We are seeing it with President Trump, and in fact, when I watch these judges in the cases that are handling uh, that, that that are handling the the lawsuits and the the claims that have been brought against President Trump, it's apparent to me that these judges recognize that the cases are almost frivolous, and that they're most likely going to be re- reversed on appeal. But the purpose of bringing them is to keep him gummed up, to keep him from being able to campaign, to keep him from being able to go out and, and, and message to the American people and take his campaign to the American people. So these lawsuits are specifically for, are being abused and are being brought specifically so that they can prevent Donald Trump from effectively running for president. So as you say, it isn't just against him. It's against parents who are concerned about what's going on in schools. There are several things that we are doing in Congress, and one of them is with the Select Committee on Weaponization. We are exposing the ways in which these agencies have been weaponized against the American people. 
An example being the Department of Homeland Security. You would think, okay, well, how, are, how would that possibly be weaponized against people? They've been giving grants to various universities and, and NGOs and organizations who are targeting conservative speech and attempting to prevent us from being able to engage in the public square. Uh, we have the, the FBI who we know has been abusing the FISA process as an example of lawfare, where they're bringing claims in secret in the secret FISA court. Uh, they know that they're not valid, but again, it's for purposes of allowing them to be able to investigate people. I do think that we need to be introducing bills and passing bills specifically challenging what these agencies have been doing and prohibiting them from doing it. One of the bills that I have brought is a is is a protection of the First Amendment bill, and what it would do is it would make federal employees who violate someone's First Amendment rights, whether it's their freedom of speech or their freedom of religion, uh, their freedom of association, um, it it would actually make them personally liable to who, whomever that they have victimized. So that's one of the bills that I've brought. I want to do a civil rights statute that protects our our First Amendment rights from federal employees. Yeah, and I think um, when someone is falsely targeted and pursued, they should be able to to go back and get their attorney fees reimbursed from the entity that is targeting them unjustly. I agree with that, and I and that's one of the provisions that we will have in this bill. Keep in mind, we already have what's called the Equal Access to Justice Act. And it was intended to do that. So, for example, I've, I have represented a variety of landowners in the state of Wyoming where the EPA has wrongfully targeted them for allegedly violating the Clean Water Act. I have prevailed in those cases. What's frustrating to me, however, is that judges won't grant people on my side, if you will. It won't grant people that the federal government is targeting. It won't grant them their attorney's fees. But if you have a circumstance where an environmental organization sues the secretary of, of, of uh, the, the Fish and Wildlife Service, as an example, sues them for failing to list a particular species, judges will readily grant their attorney's fees and costs. It's one of the ways that these federal agencies and the federal judges launder federal money to these various NGOs and these environmental groups. So we have a law on the books. My personal experience has been is that federal judges will not grant attorney's fees when they disagree with the person who's being persecuted or prosecuted. Another example of a two-tiered system of yes. of justice. And, and, and Congresswoman Hageman, I, I commend the Republicans for putting this committee together, this subcommittee, because it's a recognition that there is a problem here. You mentioned something a moment ago, and I'm going to be talking with another one of your colleagues here in just a moment, Congressman Adderholt, who's on the Appropriations Committee. When you, you talked about a grant where money's been given, where the money's being used, that's really the, the power and the leverage that Republicans have right now. The purse strings. We've got to go after the money. Well, and we have now passed seven appropriations bills, and that is part of what we are doing in those appropriations bills. So you're absolutely correct. 
So for example, we uh, recently did the Department of Justice. We passed that bill, the appropriations bill for the Department of Justice, and we have cut substantial funding that they are seeking. And so I agree with you. Another area that I just can't figure out why we're not being more aggressive with is why is the Department of Homeland Security even giving grants that would relate to First Amendment issues? But that's what they've done. What we've discovered is that some of this grant money has gone to radical leftists people who actually profess to be members of Antifa, this grant money has gone to these universities and then they're using the money to indoctrinate the next, uh, the next generation of students into this radical ideology. An example is creating a pyramid that would liken the, the, the Republican National Committee to Nazi Germany. That's, that's absolute insanity. Yet it is our federal funds that have actually gone to that university for purposes of furthering that agenda and that message. So that was one of the issues that I addressed with Mayorkas when he was before our committee. But you're absolutely right. We have got to start starving these agencies so that they actually focus on the very purpose for which they were created and not start getting their tentacles into all of these other areas that are just being used to further a leftist agenda. Right. Absolutely right. And, and again, I commend the subcommittee on weaponization because you're, un, you're, you're pulling back the curtain. So the America, America knows it's there, but they haven't seen these such blatant examples of it. Final question for you, uh, Congresswoman Hageman. You mentioned Mayorkas this week on the, the House floor, refused to move forward with impeachment. Is that done or is that going to find life in the committee now? No, the, the, the reason that I believe that that died is because the, the, this is being investigated through the committee. So we have a very robust investigation going into Mayorkas right now. And I believe that there are two, if not three reports that have already been issued that identified the various ways in which he has engaged in a dereliction of duty. But there has to be a process that we follow for the very reasons of what we're talking about. We know that the mainstream media is largely in the camp of the Democrats. And so in order in order to be able to convince the American public, we have to go to the American public and we have to find a mechanism to do that. Just simply doing an impeachment without presenting all of that evidence allows the mainstream media to continue to cover up the terrible things that Mayorkas and his boss have been doing, both in relation to the border as well as the First Amendment violations, as I described a few moments ago. So we need to continue with the investigation. I believe that there will be a final report issued. And at that point, I believe that the committees, including the Judiciary Committee, will be involved in a formal uh, impeachment process. But we need to go through the steps in order to do that because our audience, our jury, is the American public. And right. if we don't present that case, the mainstream media is going to try to destroy us. So in other words, stay tuned. More to come on this That's issue. Right. Congresswoman Hageman, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, taking time to join us. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you soon. All right. You, you as well. Well, that's encouraging. And, and, and they are pulling back the curtain. I mean, this would the media is not going to cover this. But let's go to the next step. So I want to continue this conversation on the left's weaponization of the federal government and the legal system and how the Republicans just having slim control of one chamber are going to be able to address this issue, which I think is going to affect the 2024 election.
without question. Joining me now to discuss this is Congressman Robert Adderholt. He serves on the House Appropriations Committee. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Alabama, also chairs the House Values Action Team. Congressman Adderholt, welcome to Washington Watch. Good to see you. Well, Tony, great to be with you. Thanks for inviting me to be on. Well, you you sit on the Appropriations Committee, but you also you chair the Values Action Team. You know how important these value issues are, parents standing up to speak out about what's happening in our schools, about conservatives simply voicing their frustrations and concerns and not being targeted. Will the Republicans have the ability through the appropriations process to rein in these out-of-control federal agencies? We're definitely working on it. And uh, you mentioned about uh, as far as how this ties in with the value action team and as far as values, you know, so many school parents, uh, parents of school children want to go to the school boards and to uh, discuss a lot of it. And as you know, the FBI has really in some crazy situations really cracked down on just parents voicing their concern. And on in this uh, CJS, Commerce, Justice, Science, and Preparation Bill, uh, we have defunded the FBI, FBI's guidance uh, targeting uh, school board meetings. That's just one example of what we're doing. And obviously, you had uh, the uh, congresswoman on just a few minutes ago, and she talked about the authorization committee through weaponization. And I think I was listening to the interview, and I think it was aptly put, sort of pulling back the curtain and exposing a lot of these things. It then allows us on the Appropriations Committee to defund it, because if the Department of Justice doesn't have the money to do these things, then, you know, they can't act. And so it's one thing to expose them. It's another thing to take away the money. Uh, Obviously, the people at the Department of Justice are not going to work for free. And if you don't have any money for any programs over there, then you're able to stop it. And that's what the goal of the of the uh, of, of defunding a lot of these so-called programs that we've seen under the Biden administration. Um, other things that we're making sure language in the appropriation bill says that there has to be uh, FBI interviews have to be recorded. Uh, that uh, we there's protection for federal whistleblowers yeah. from retaliation. Um, so very important. Uh, those are just examples of how we can put money into programs that do the right things, but yet pull the money away from these programs it, of where they're used for uh, uh, obviously uh, mischievous purposes. And that's really the only leverage that Republicans have right now is on the funding, because you're not going to get the president to sign bills that are going that's going to restrict his machine that he has in place that's suppressing conservative voices. Yeah, no, there's a, a standalone bill or anything that we did this would never pass the Senate uh, right now anyway, and certainly the president wouldn't sign it. So being able to take that money away, that's really where, and that's why they call it the House has the power of the purse, or the Congress has the power of the purse, is that we're able to uh, uh, decide where that money goes, because obviously we can not only put money into a program, but also you can take money away from a program. And if a program doesn't have any money, and if a uh, if employees are not being paid, uh, 
then they're probably not going to be going to work and doing all these things on a daily basis. So, Congressman Adderhold, this is kind of what the House Speaker Mike Johnson was referring to about, you know, we're going to have a fight and the fight's coming. As you move these appropriations bills forward, this fight in January and February, these are the type of things that he's talking about, real substantive policy changes that come through the power of the purse. Yeah. And let me just say that uh, the new speaker, Mike Johnson, is doing a great job. Uh, and I know some people were uh, gave him a little bit of grief uh, this week for moving forward with this uh, uh, continued resolution. You know, you got to realize he's been on the job for basically two to three weeks and he is trying he is got, getting a plan together uh, also you got to remember that uh, he did get this two-tiered uh, a funding mechanism in place so that you don't have a total uh, potential shutdown in January so you've got some of the subcommittees or some of the committees that will be uh, needing to be funded in January some in February and so I think Mike Johnson has a plan. I, I know you know Mike Johnson well. I've known Mike probably longer than most of us have because uh, y'all are hell from the same state but uh, and have been friends for a long time. But uh, I, I really think that uh, he does have a plan, and we've got to give him a little bit of time to work on this. And so I couldn't be happier with Mike Johnson as our new speaker. And uh, so those of so the, the people out there that – or give a little, a little bit naysayers about the CR this week. You know, like I said, just give him a little time. Right. Let's, he's got to have a little time to work on it. And uh, I know Mike Johnson. You know Mike Johnson. And he's not going to just turn away from a no, fight. He's going to he's going to be there, but he's going to have a plan yeah. before he just goes exactly. To a fight. You got to be smart about it. You got to be smart about it. Uh, Congressman Robert Adderholt, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for the great work you do and for chairing the Values Action Team. Well, thank you, Tony, for the work that you do uh, and uh, for all the work on values that we work together so closely on. And I look forward to continuing to work with you and uh, look forward to being with you on another time. All right. Very good. And, folks, I want to thank you for joining us as well. And until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, who says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.